Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Koinonia Church Message Library. Our hope is that today's message encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We are confident that God's Word is living and active and is relevant for us today. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Hey, everyone. We are excited to be here together Mm -hmm. and to today share some amazing news with you. My name is Brian Ferguson, and I'm the lead pastor at Koinonia Church. Yeah, and my name is Brandon Richardson. I'm the lead pastor at Slate Church alongside my wife, Emma. And this is an update video. For some of you, this is the first time you're going to be hearing about this news that we brought to our churches on July 16th, the news that we'd be exploring what it would look like to merge together. But for a lot of you, um, this is just picking up the conversation and a little bit about where we're going. So we're going to give you an update, but also bring you up to speed on how we got to this place. And to get there, we have to actually travel back two and a half years to a point where I started praying over, God, why are you putting in my heart in this question? between Quinnity and Slate. And the question was this, why are we two different churches? And so two and a half years ago, I started praying. And about a year ago on September 21st of last year, I brought this question to Pastor Brian and said, like, what do you think? Yeah. And I remember that conversation very clearly, even though it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. And we both agreed, we need to pray about this. Yes. Uh, let's bring Emma and Rebecca into the conversation and pray. And, and then we said, hey, let's take this to the next, to our leadership teams. Mm-hmm. So we involved our leadership teams through this journey of praying and seeking and saying, God, are, is this your idea of becoming one new church to be even more effective for your kingdom in this region, in this province and beyond? Yeah. And so we took some time before we ever got to July 16th. We met as a, a number of times uh, as, as leaders, but also we got our leadership teams together and we began to work on different things. Um, we began to work on governance conversations and making sure we had alignment there. We did a financial risk assessment on both. Um, we looked at theological alignment to make sure that we actually believed the same things, even when it came to things like hot topics. And vision wasn't hard because we both got excited yeah. for what God was doing to align us to have one vision for his new church. Absolutely. And so when we came to July 16th and we updated and brought everybody in that we were thinking about merging as one church, uh, we came there with a lot of commitment to one another and pretty confident that the direction we were headed was the direction that God was leading us in. Now, when we brought it to everybody, we hadn't yet made a final decision. And so over the last couple of months, there's also been a lot going on as we brought all of you into the conversation about what it looks like to merge. Yeah, we wanted to invite everyone into the journey with us and to pray with us. And so we had town hall meetings together online and in person. Mm -hmm. We had a worship night gathering as well of both churches Mm -hmm. uh, coming to worship in one place together. All of it to say, God, show us where you're affirming this direction. And and he did. Yeah, that's right. There's been great affirmation about moving forward and seeking God together. That's right. The number of pastoral conversations, I mean, they multiplied in this season as we address um, concerns as well as support for this idea. Um, We also took a look at our online forum where everybody could offer feedback and we addressed all of those things. We've updated the FAQ. There's been so much work that has led us to a very important date on the calendar, which was this past September 11th. We got together as two leadership teams and a lot happened that night. Yeah, it did. We came together to 
ensure and to say we are aligned that as leadership and agree that we should move forward as one new church. And so we established new leadership board and that was representatives from both churches. Mm-hmm. And we established a el- new elders board representative from both and senior leadership as well to, to come in alignment and say, yes, we are committed to mm-hmm. this direction together. And it was a special night, wasn't it? Yeah, like when we got together, this was a moment to share even more vision behind this whole thing. Um, we broke off and voted as as separate churches, but then came together as one. Um, Brian led us in communion after that. That was a special moment when God just yeah. affirmed that Jesus' whole prayer is that we would be one as he is one with the Father. Yeah. And yeah. we embrace it and had communion, broke bread, and then we had a meal together, yeah. which also affirmed how special it was. Oh, absolutely. It was a great night of setting up where we're going and affirmations of everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This has been quite a year. Um, yes. We have so enjoyed it with you. Yes. And I think it only entices us toward what God has in store next. So talk to us about this fall, like share what this fall is going to look like. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we can sit with that announcement. We are, we are going to move forward as one new church and the target date for the launch of that church is in alignment with what we initially communicated, but we have a target date on the calendar now and it's January 28th, 2024. Now, there are a few things that could shift that a week or two, um, but that's the general target date that we're looking at. Mm -hmm. And over these next four months, we're gonna be doing a lot of things behind the scenes to get ourselves ready for that date. And part of the excitement is affirming you and Emma as lead pastors of Mm -hmm. this new church. That's part of what we're gonna be affirming and, and walking out this fall as we head toward launch. Yeah, the thought to both of us um, and our leadership teams that we're gonna be one church in three locations really excites us because it's in line with the vision to make disciples of this region, this, this uh, province and beyond. And so along with the affirmation of, of M and I leading this church, we're also excited to reaffirm that Pastor Brian and Rebecca will be leading our site in Bloomingdale. Um, Pastor Nathan and Emily Lambert will be leading our site in our Waterloo evening site, as well as Jared and, and Beth Moore are gonna be leading our morning location in Waterloo. And uh, all of this leads us to great excitement, great expectation, and all of the teams that they lead, as well as you know our executive pastor that work after admin and central teams and all the rest, are working towards this fall, making sure that we have further alignment on all the things we do as a church. And so one other step we want to involve you in this fall mm-hmm. is to be a part of helping us discern and discover the new name for new church. Yeah. And so there's going to be a form on both of our websites that you can go to, and we encourage you to pray mm-hmm. and then submit ideas, not just anything, but prayerfully submit. <laughs> prayerfully submit. <laughs> it's going to line up with our mission, our vision, mm-hmm. and our values as we as we come together as one. Yeah. And it's important to note that this isn't the end of bringing our our congregations and our churches in on the conversation, even though as leadership has been responsible for the ultimate decision of this uh, merger, uh, we still want to invite everybody's voice into helping shape what this looks like moving forward. And so there's going to still be a number of worship nights that we uh, participate in uh, leading towards uh, January. There's going to be a number of conversations, I'm sure if you're on team and on volunteer team or you're leading, that your leader or the staff member you report to that they're going to draw you into. Um, we're going to build this thing together. So don't just don't just sit tight, but be a part of the conversation. Be a part of building. Be, say yes to what God's doing here. And uh, we invite you to be a part of that process. Yes. Be engaged. That's yes. the word I heard you say is mm-hmm. be engaged in this because we're excited of what God has in store 
as we walk by faith to seek him and his purpose to be fulfilled. That's right. Let's go. Yeah. Well, it's an exciting time for our community, isn't it? I want to encourage you, let's continue to walk forward by faith, to faith for what God will do in our communities, in your neighborhoods, in our province, and beyond. I'm very excited, and I want to encourage you to continue to pray, continue to engage and invest with the relationships in our community, and let's humble ourselves before God and see where he might take us. do declare, Lord, that you are worthy, that there is no one like you. Lord, no one compares to you. You are a God like no other. And Lord, we do want to see another glimpse of your glory today. As we look at Jesus, as we look at your word, we want to see you more clearly. And so we ask you to open our eyes to see your truth to see who you are, Lord, we want to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat this morning. Well, we are in a series called Good News. I think I'm still on. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're in a series called Good News. And last week, we um, heard about Jesus declaring that I am the bread of life. And each week in this um, series, we're looking at another I am statement that Jesus made. And this week, we're looking at the statement he made about being the light of the world. Our world is full of bad news, have you noticed? There's lots of pain, there's lots of suffering, there's lots of brokenness, there's lots of things going on in our world that give us reason to not have hope. But Jesus came to deliver some good news. In fact, that's what the word gospel means, it means good news. So we're going to look at this statement that Jesus makes, I am the light of the world, it shows up in John 8 and in John 9, and we're going to find out why it was good news for the people in Jesus' day and why it's good news for us today. You ready for that? Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's at the temple, and he's on the temple grounds, and he makes this statement in verse 12 of chapter 8. Jesus spoke again to the people, it says, and Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Can I get the, the lights down? Can you shut off the lights? Unfortunately, there's still a bunch of light in this room, <laughs> but I wanted to give you uh, just a little bit of an idea of what this might mean to the people in Jesus' day, because in case you had forgotten, no one had discovered electricity yet, right? You couldn't just flick on a light and have everything light up. It wasn't an option. So the rhythm of life centered around 
the sun coming up and setting. (laughs) When it came up, people went to work. Maybe some of them went to work before then, like fishermen. But most people weren't working in the middle of the night because they didn't have flashlights. They didn't have an ability to flip on a light in their home and be able to work. And then when sun set, life pretty much shut down and people went to bed and went to sleep. And so Jesus is declaring that he is the light of the world and that whoever follows him will never walk in darkness but have the light of life because he's saying, I am the source of light. Just like the sun was the natural source of light, Jesus was saying that he was a spiritual source of light. And anybody who would follow him would not walk in darkness. Walking in darkness carries this idea of stumbling, falling, getting lost, getting overcome with evil. And Jesus was saying, if you will follow me, I'm the source of spiritual light. You are going to discover that you don't need to stumble in the darkness anymore. You don't need to get lost in the darkness anymore. You do not need to get overcome by the darkness anymore because he is the light of the world. And he brings truth. There are many people in our world that are wondering, why am I here? Where am I going? They're wondering, what is this life all about? What is true? And we've started manufacturing truth for ourselves. But Jesus says he is the source of light. And the good news is, none of us, when we come face to face with the Son of God, the light of the world, need to get lost in the darkness anymore. Isn't that good news? You can turn the the light back on for me. In in the uh, book of John, in in chapter 8, it's actually... Very interesting, the way John has written this gospel. Jesus has just declared that he's the light of the world. And then in chapter 8, what happens is that the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders of the day, they challenge Jesus on his claim that he is the light of the world. They they say to him, "You're, you're bearing witness for yourself. You're giving your own testimony. It's not valid, right? And throughout chapter 8, what happens is we discover that these religious leaders who were supposed to be teaching the people the truth and who believed that they had the light, in other words, they were the teachers of the truth, they were the experts, they were the ones who knew what the truth was, that's what they believed, we discover that actually they are walking in darkness. If you read the, I'm not going to read the chapter 8 of, of, of uh, John, but if you do, if you go through it, you'll discover one thing after the other, evidence that these religious leaders are lost in the darkness. They've studied the law, they, they have a relationship with God of some kind, but they do not have eyes to see the truth. How do we know this? Well, they don't know who Jesus is. <laughs> They've spent their entire lives memorizing Scripture. 
meditating on Scripture, longing and praying for this Messiah to come, this Savior that was promised by, by God through the prophets in the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament. And the Messiah is standing in front of them, and they cannot see it. They're blind to the truth. And they're blind to their need for him. And then they, they're so blind that they actually want to kill him, the Messiah that they've been praying for, longing for, hoping for, that their nation has been longing for for hundreds of years. And they are ready to put to death the Messiah. They're blind. By the time we get to the end of the chapter, they pick up stones to try and kill Jesus. And it's, it's a very interesting verse in, in verse 59 of chapter 8, the last verse. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. I would love to have been there, wouldn't you? Like, what did that look like? <laughs> Jesus hid himself and slipped away. So Jesus has described how he is the light of the world. Now he's about to demonstrate it. Chapter 9 is placed right after what Jesus has declared about being the light of the world because he said it. The religious leaders have said, I don't think so. You're not the light of the world. Prove it, basically. And so Jesus in chapter 9 does. He proves that he's the light of the world. It's a fascinating story, and we're going to look at it. Are you ready? All right, verse 1 of chapter 9. As he went along, he and his disciples, Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple grounds now. He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, the Pharisees, one of the things that they believed and taught, another evidence of the fact that they were not good at perceiving truth, was that if a person suffered, or it, particularly if a person was born with some kind of ailment, it was God's judgment. It was because either they had done something wrong, or their parents had done something wrong. Now, think about this for a moment. This guy was born blind. So the disciples say, was it this man's parents, or was it the man himself? The Pharisees the teachers of the law actually believed that the fetus was capable of sinning in some way in the womb and that could cause them to, this man in particular in this case, to be born blind. So that's what they're talking about. Jesus responds, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I just want to give a little aside. This is not really core to the message, but this is, this is important. I think that when we suffer as humans or when we witness somebody else suffering, rather than trying to figure out why, sometimes it's obvious and that's worth paying attention to. But if it's not, the best thing we can do is ask the question, God, how can you be glorified in the middle of this situation? What do you want to reveal about yourself through this situation? And that's what Jesus is about to do. 
As long as it is day, he says, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he (laughs) spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he said to him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Wow. I don't know about you, but one of my first questions is, why on earth does Jesus spit on the ground and make mud out of his spittle to heal this man? I mean, other places in Scripture, right? It's clear that Jesus has the authority, the power, just to speak a word, right? He could have just said, be healed. The man would have been healed. He could have just touched him. He could have done anything. He's the son of God. But he chooses to spit on the ground. Make, could you imagine being the blind man? You're like, I can't see what he's doing, but I hear. <laughs> what? Oh, my word. What is going on? And then he takes this mixture of mud and spittle. And he puts it on the man's eyes. Isn't that a great word? I just, I just had to say it a couple of times. <laughs> he smears it on the guy, guy's eyes. And then, he, then he, goes, he tells him, go to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. I, this is profound. This is, this is a beautiful, beautiful scene. There's so many things in here, and I can't tell you all of them. But think about this. This man has been born blind. There's a pool called Siloam, which means sent. And Jesus chooses to send the man, send the man to a pool called sent that was named sent before the man was born. And Jesus said, this is all so that the glory of God can be revealed in this man. Think about what God is up to here. Isn't this amazing? So yeah, why did he spit? I didn't, I didn't answer that question. We're about to find out a little bit later in the passage that it's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. So that's the day of rest. That's the day that God gave to his people, set aside the seventh day, because God rested on the seventh day of creation. And he wanted his people to understand that he was their source. They didn't need to work seven days a week. Maybe this is a revelation for some of us today. We do not need to work seven days a week to provide for ourselves because God is our source, because he loves us, and we can trust him with that seventh day and say, God, here it is, an act of worship, an act of trust. I'm willing to let you be my source rather than feeling that I must work every day in order to provide for myself. But on that seventh day, the Pharisees had come up with some additional rules. In fact, there were 39 types of work that you were not to engage in as a result of it being the Sabbath. And one of them happened to be kneading clay. Do you see what's going on here? (laughs) Jesus could have done anything. 
He could have spoken to the man's eyes. He could have said, you're healed. He could have touched him. He could have, whatever he wanted. But he chose to spit on the ground and knead some clay. (laughs) And then smear it on the guy's eyes. Another thing you weren't allowed to do, unless someone, their life was in danger, was heal. Couldn't heal anyone if you had the power to do it. <laughs> you, you weren't allowed to knead clay and you weren't allowed to heal anyone. Jesus has done both those things. I love Jesus. Why did he do this? It's because the Pharisees are blind. And he wants to create a situation where the religious leaders have an opportunity to have their eyes opened. The question is, will they? We'll find out. In verse 8, his neighbors, that's the neighbors of the blind man, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. (laughs) How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. See, this man had never even seen Jesus. He hasn't seen Jesus yet. Because the man who had the mud put on his eye, he he hadn't seen at that moment. He went and he washed and then he came back, but Jesus had disappeared. So he's never seen Jesus. He just knows that the man they call Jesus healed me. (laughs) Fascinating. Something very, very important is going on in verse 12 as well. The word no is introduced. In this story, you're going to see the word no show up lots of times. There are going to be people, different people that say, I know stuff. And then there are going to be people say, I don't know stuff. And this is very important because it's related to the idea of seeing, perceiving, of being blind or, be, or knowing what the truth is. All right, verse 13. These people, the neighbors and the people who had seen him begging, they brought the man to the Pharisees. It's about to get real. The day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was, ding, 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 a Sabbath. (laughs) Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. (laughs) The Pharisees have a man in front of them who everybody around them is saying, he has been healed. 
His eyes have been opened. He's been blind from birth. His eyes are opened. And they are saying it's impossible that this man is from God because he did not keep one of the 39 rules we came up for for the Sabbath. Isn't this sad? We're beginning to see just how blind they are. Verse 17. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. I I think that they must have assumed that he was in cahoots with Jesus. And they were, you know, faking a miracle (laughs) or something because they don't believe it until the parents show up. And they asked the parents, Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one who you say was born blind? How is it that he can see? Here we go with the no statements. We know he is our son. And the the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He's an adult. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. They'd be excommunicated. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. This is important, this whole idea of being put out of the synagogue. Because the life of a Jew was connected to the synagogue, their social life, even their um, uh, business life, their right standing before God was connected to the synagogue. So to be excommunicated, to be kicked out of the synagogue, was to have the religious leaders say, you are not in right standing with God, you are not welcome in this place, which would result in social implications, business implications. It's a big deal. Notice that they've already acknowledged, or they've already decided, I should say, that if anybody acknowledges Jesus is the Christ, that they'll be kicked out of the synagogue. They've made up their minds. This is part of the problem. This is one of the reasons why they're so blind. They have decided already that Jesus is not from God, that he is not the Christ, he's not the Messiah, and if anybody else thinks he is, done. You're out. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said to him. We know that this man is a sinner. Not only is he not the Messiah, is he not the Christ, but he is a sinner. Why? Because he spat on the ground, made some mud, and healed you on the Sabbath. That's why he's a sinner. The man replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Isn't that an amazing line? We've got a bunch of religious leaders who are debating about the technicalities of how, Je- how Jesus healed this man. And the man's like, I don't know and I don't care how I got healed. I just know I was blind and now I can see. How beautiful. 
Verse 26. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? He's about to get a little bit saucy, a little, a little bit cheeky. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> it's like, oh man, I wish I was there. Then they hurled insults at him. You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. (laughs) You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard Pharisees of opening the eyes of a man born blind. Man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, the religious leaders, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Wow. I love the fact that this blind man has had such an encounter with Jesus that he doesn't care about the implications of him standing up for Jesus. That's what he's doing. This man is siding with Jesus against the religious leaders who had the authority, who had the power, who had the influence, who could excommunicate him, and he knew it, and yet he sides with Jesus. And I love this because through this man, God is giving the Pharisees an opportunity to have their eyes opened. What happens next is is so beautiful. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, let me say that again, when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Do you see the difference between this man and the Pharisees? The Pharisees are like, we've already decided He's not from God. He made clay on the Sabbath. He's a sinner. He cannot be the Messiah. And this man, he's had such an encounter with Jesus that he's like, tell me who the Son of Man is so that I may believe in him. (laughs) The Son of Man is a title from the Old Testament, the book of Daniel, Daniel 7. It's a messianic title. Jesus has just told this man, I'm, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I'm the one you've been hoping and praying and longing for. I'm he. And I love the fact that Jesus finds this man. Jesus, by the way, if you didn't notice, initiated this miracle. The man did not come to Jesus like many had and asked him to heal. Nobody brought the man to Jesus. Jesus is walking past him, 
And Jesus initiates the miracle. And this man has been kicked out of the synagogue. And it's when Jesus heard that he had been thrown out of the synagogue, he found him. Just such a a picture of the love of God for this man. Jesus is moved with compassion because this man was willing to get kicked out of the synagogue, to be excommunicated for his stand about who Jesus is. What about you? What about me? Are you willing to accept the consequences? Am I willing to accept the consequences for declaring that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man? He is the Christ. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Because this man is the first time he's seen Jesus. He's never seen Jesus face to face before. And Jesus reveals who he is to this man. I, I love the way Jesus surprises us. I remember the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman, for one, back in that day. That, that wasn't in your favor. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. She was a Samaritan. They were the enemies of the Jews. And Jesus picks a Samaritan woman to reveal himself to as the Christ. Now he picks a blind man, blind from birth, who the world around him had already decided was steeped in sin. He must have done something wrong. He is the, sub, the object of God's punishment. And Jesus picks this man to reveal himself to as the Son of Man, as the Christ. Wow. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. It's the only appropriate response, isn't it? When we discover who Jesus is, when we realize that he is the Son of God, when we realize that he is the Christ, that he's the Messiah, that he's our Savior, the only response is to worship. That's what we've been doing today. And then it's like this, this last piece is, you know, the mic drop, the conclusion of the whole thing. We find out what it's all about in verse 39. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. In other words, those who will acknowledge that they need spiritual sight will have their eyes opened. Those who claim they already see, those who claim they already know everything there is to know, it will be exposed that they are in fact blind. Some of the Pharisees who, who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Yes, yes, you are. That's what this is all about. You're blind. Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you see, your sin remains. Wow, what a story. There are three things that 
I see in this passage that I think we need to take home with us. And that the first one is this, that the man born blind is a picture of all of us. The man born blind is a picture of all of us because all of us were born in sin, spiritually speaking. And we were born blind, spiritually speaking. We come into this world blind, spiritually. We come into this world in darkness, spiritually, because of what happened thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden, when the first man and the first woman chose to rebel against God. And we see this picture as the scriptures unfold that darkness came in where there was once light, that people began to stumble and fall and lose their way, and that this darkness wasn't just external, it became an internal problem, the problem of sin in the human heart. And every single person that is born into this world is born in darkness. All of us. We are spiritually blind from birth. But the good news, the good news is that Jesus came to give spiritual sight, to open our spiritual eyes, because God was not content to see us stumbling around in the darkness. He was not content for us to be falling because of the darkness that we have within us and around us. Jesus came to give light. And the last thing is that we receive sight when we believe, but pride prevents us from receiving spiritual sight. That's the problem with the Pharisees. The Pharisees came face to face with the Son of Man. They came face to face with the same man that the man blind from birth had come face to face with. Same, Same man, same God, Jesus Christ. They saw him face to face. But the man born blind had a very different outcome, didn't he, to the Pharisees? The man born blind had the humility to recognize that he needed sight. The Pharisees believed they could already see. That was the difference. The Pharisees were unteachable because they thought they already knew. They thought that they were experts. They had already decided who Jesus could and couldn't be. And so they missed having their eyes opened. The blind man was desperate, and he was humble, and he was open, and he, was, and he said to Jesus, tell me who the Son of Man is. Tell me who the Christ is so that I can believe in him. And he didn't need anything else. And Jesus said, it's me. And he believed, and he fell down and worshiped. Perhaps you're here this morning and you have not yet believed that Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. He came to give light to us. See, if you're going to see something, in fact, the only reason you, can, you and I can see anything in this room is because there is light present, 
There is a source of light. And that light bounces off of an object and it hits our eye and we can see. Spiritually speaking, Jesus is the light source. He's the spiritual light source. And he wants to give spiritual light to you and I so that our eyes spiritually can be open, so that we can see the reality of the situation around us. When you and I get sight, physical sight, it's, it doesn't make everything appear, right? If we, if, if we could get this room pitch black, everything would not disappear from the room just because it, was, because it was black. Everything would still be here. And we have been wandering around as human beings in this world in darkness. And when Jesus, the light of the world, when we believe in him, he opens our eyes and we begin to see what has already been there all along. We begin to see spiritual realities that have been there all along. We begin to realize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We begin to realize that he died on the cross for our sin. We begin to realize that we are in need of a Savior. We begin to realize that Jesus is that Savior. We begin to realize there's a God in heaven that loves us, that created us in his image, and that sent his Son to rescue us. We begin to see the reality of the world around us in a whole new way because our eyes get opened to what has always been there. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? Perhaps you're here today and you haven't yet chosen to believe like this man born blind did, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is your savior. In this moment, I don't want to move on from this moment without giving you an opportunity to express your faith in Jesus Christ, like this man did. What did he do? He said, I believe, and he worshiped. If you're ready this morning to be like that man and say, I believe, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are my Savior. If you haven't done that before, but you would like to do that this morning, I'm going to pray a prayer and lead us in a prayer in just a moment. Would you just raise your hand where you are? Just raise your hand up so I can see it as I lead us in prayer. Is there anybody this morning that you're ready to have your spiritual eyes opened to who Jesus is? Would you pray out loud and along with me? Dear God, Thank you for sending Jesus. I believe that he is the light of the world. I believe he's your son. I believe he died on a cross for me, carrying my sin, carrying the darkness of the world. And I believe that he rose from the dead defeating darkness once and for all. I choose to receive Jesus, the light of the world, as my Savior, as my Lord. Thank you that I am forgiven and that I am your child. Amen.
Amen. Let's give God a hand. If, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you meant it, I want to encourage you after the service to come to the front and chat with one of the, the leaders up here. We'd love to help you on your journey of faith. The last thing that I want to bring to your attention is that Jesus said that he was the light of the world. But I don't know if you noticed in the beginning of this story, he said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Because he was preparing us for something. He was preparing us for the fact that he's not here anymore. Now, that doesn't mean he's not the light of the world. But he's opened up a whole new reality because he said in Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. You and I are now the light of the world. If our faith is in Jesus, if we put our faith in Jesus, we are the light of the world. You say, how can that be? It's because it's not our own light. Because the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ is now within us. And then light now shines out of us to the world around us. Through our words and through our actions, Jesus wants you and I to be the light of the world, to show and to share the good news that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Son of Man. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. I want to encourage you this week to think about that. How are you allowing Jesus through your life to express himself as the light of the world? Because that's what he wants to do. Can you say with me, Jesus is the light of the world and he lives in me through his spirit, which makes me the light of the world. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit sink today's message into your heart, to let it transform you and bring new life. If you want to learn more about Koinonia, you can go to kcf.life to get connected. Thank you for being a part of our community. If today's message encouraged you, we would love for you to rate it and review it and share it with a friend. We love you. Let's continue to build God's kingdom together.